Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. What does that mean? What does that mean today? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Three words, I'll admit. I don't just love to say. I mean, do you love to say? I don't know. You know, the great thing is you don't have to say, I don't know, anymore. If you don't know something, you just look it up, and then you know. You know, like instantly on your phone right there. What's the capital of South Dakota? You, you look it up on your phone. What's the weather going to be like tomorrow? You look it up on your phone. What's the traffic like at 240 and I-40 and Sam Cooper? Well, you don't need your phone to tell you that. It's awful. You know, just, just assume it's terrible. But I like not having to say, I don't know. I was in Guatemala on a medical mission with Gerald Jerkins a few weeks ago, and I'll, I'll tell you more stories about that later. But we were staying in this little town in Guatemala of just incredible poverty. And I got to see really stunning ministry happening among, amongst that incredible poverty. But I was struck by these little children who are running around, and all the kids are barefoot in this little town, and they live in these bamboo homes, okay? If they have any money at all, they might have cinder block homes with tin ceilings, okay? But what I was struck by in Guatemala was that nearly everybody I saw, even in that little town, had a cell phone, okay? And most had a smartphone. So I looked this up, and I actually looked it up in a book, not on my phone, although I ordered the book off Amazon on my phone. But anyway, I looked it up in a book, and here's what I learned. Today, 1.4 billion, billion people have a smartphone. That's 1,4 followed by eight zeros. That's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of smartphones. So you've got to ask, is that good? Is our world better because of that? Or are Christians better because of that? You know, I don't know. I was a senior at ACU, Abilene Christian, and I love Abilene Christian. I was a senior there when ACU started its mobile initiative, okay? They were going to give every incoming freshman a free and brand new iPhone, okay? First red flag, at a private school, nothing's free, okay? You're, you're paying for that iPhone somewhere, okay? But they were going to give every incoming freshman an iPhone. And this was back when the iPhone was a brick, not the sleek aluminum thing that be, people are bending in their skinny jeans right now. Have you seen this? This is my favorite headline maybe of the year. Apple fans' tight pants are bending the iPhone 6 Plus, okay? Uh, this was before that. This was back when the iPhone was a brick, but it was a really cool brick, Okay? It made the razor, which was God's gift to flip phones, seem not so sharp after all, right? Okay, but us upperclassmen didn't get the iPhone. We were cast out into the cellular wilderness of that blue Nokia, and if you wanted to send a text message in the letter C, you had to hit two three times. You remember those days? You played the game Snake, right? The riveting game Snake. We were cast out into that cellular wilderness. A year later, I was a graduate assistant, and I was sitting in on this class. This professor was giving to these iPhone-toting sophomores at this point, okay? And he was talking about discipleship in the digital age. And he said, uh, he, he was talking to this group of sophomores, and I could look out and see that each of them had their phone in their lap, right? They were surfing Facebook or checking messages or downloading music. And he said, the greatest threat to discipleship in the digital age is distraction. 
It's not whether I can say something that'll change your life. It's whether I can get your attention long enough for you to hear it. Okay. And what was ironic was they didn't even hear him. Right? It was interesting. A Christian university endorsing constant connectivity, constant access to information, news, data, social media, blogs, videos, email, messages, and very rarely an actual phone call when you talk to a person. They did their best, their part, to contribute to that 1.4 billion people plugged in online. And I was suspicious. And I wondered about Paul's words. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And I wondered if all this connectivity might be, maybe, a little worldly. But then I got an iPhone and I was too busy checking Twitter to care. (laughs) I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek there. And the, the reason is I really don't know. How are Christians to think about the devices that are in our pockets, in our hands, even on our, on our wrists now, as the smart watches are rolling out. How are we to think about these devices that are always with us and always turned on? Okay, not surprisingly, the Bible doesn't say anything about the iPhone or the Samsung Galaxy or the new Amazon phone. Paul, for example, could not have imagined a world in which the connectivity we have access to in our pockets at all times was possible, so he never writes about it. Jesus didn't, at the Last Supper, collect all the disciples' cell phones in a basket so they would focus on the meal, right? Jesus didn't do that. He didn't have to. It wasn't a problem. This world we live in in which devices, screens, everywhere, all around us, at all times, that wasn't the world of the Bible, and the Bible never addresses it. You say, that's obvious, Eric. Yeah, it is. It's obvious. But what's not obvious because of that is what a Christian is supposed to do with all of these devices, it makes this whole issue of screen living, of being hyperlinked, hyperconnected, hyperplugged in, a really fascinating case study in discipleship. Because this is the question we're asking a thousand times every day. How do I live in a world that is different from the world of the Bible? Okay, How does a Christian use things, devices, technology that is not addressed in the pages of the Bible and yet still be faithful to the God and Savior we find in that Bible. This is the question you're asking. I live in East Memphis, and I live near a Jewish synagogue. So every Saturday, I see Jews dressed very nicely walking to the synagogue. Now, I suspect all of these Jews have cars, or most of them. But on Saturday, I see them walking to synagogue. Okay, so Sabbath is a really important thing for Jewish people. It stretches all the way back to when God created the world and rested on the seventh day. And what Jews do is decide to rest on that day to remind themselves, I am not God. And if I stop trying to control all the things in my life that I control on a daily basis, for one day the world will keep spinning because, yes, God is actually still in control. That's what Sabbath is about. And there are a lot of rules in the Bible for what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. But The Bible never addresses driving a car on the Sabbath day. Obvious, Eric. There wasn't cars back then. It makes sense. The Bible wouldn't talk about it. But that means that at some point, some Jew or groups of Jews got together and made a decision. Is driving on the Sabbath breaking the Sabbath day? And they decided, yeah, it is. 
which is a big jump. Okay? Albeit it's probably a faithful and sincere jump, but it is a big jump. So I wish we could ask Paul, just what all did you have in mind when you said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed? You know, I think Paul might have used a smartphone if he could have had one. Did you know there are apps now that will allow you to fundraise for your mission trip? Okay. There are apps that will go through your contact list and send a letter to all of the people who you want money from for your mission trip. And then on those apps, you can send real-time updates back to the people who supported you on your mission trip. Right? I can see Paul using that. You know, I can see Paul sending out a status, baptized a whole family today. Or a picture of 10 guys who are with big smiles on their face and underneath it says, just learn they don't have to be circumcised after all. Hashtag close call. Right? <laughs> yeah, I can see Paul using that. You know, Paul's greatest frustration was that he couldn't be present with all of the churches that he planted, right? He says to the Colossian church, though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit. And you know, that's the same thing Noble's grandparents say to him every night when they get to FaceTime him and see him growing up. I mean, can you imagine what Paul could have done if he could have dropped in on Sunday morning at these churches and did a Skype sermon? You know, think about all the controversies he could have, controversies he could have stifled, right? If he didn't have to wait for a letter to travel five months before it got there, and in five months, everything had changed. A letter comes back five months later. So a year later, he learns that they're not listening to anything he said. A year later. Can you imagine what he could have done if he could have dropped in instantly? But it wasn't like Paul was a Luddite. He was using the most advanced communication mechanism available to him at the time, which was a courier, you know, the postal service. And at times, Paul used a scribe. He would talk, and somebody would write down what he was saying. It'd be like using Siri if Siri actually worked. Would Paul have used all these media devices we've got access to? You know, I don't know, but maybe. It's clear that his words in Romans do not mean that Christians can never use the handy tools that our world produces because he's using those. But these words need to, at the least, make us suspicious. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's because we don't know exactly what that means for us today that these words need to make us pause and develop this really healthy, healthy dose of suspicion. What he is saying is that there are going to be patterns or trends in this world that the Christian needs to at least think twice about before investing in wholeheartedly. Okay? So I don't know what all those patterns are, what all those trends might be, but I can see at least one worldly pattern really clearly. We are increasingly a digitally and hyper-connected people. 1.4 billion people on smartphones worldwide, I already mentioned that. 40% of Americans check their phone as their first act in the morning. Roll out of bed, check their phone. 27% said they keep checking it every waking hour of the day. 36% of adults say they will usually stop whatever they are doing to read and respond to a text message. On average, people use their mobile devices 150 times in a day. Over the next 24 hours, human beings will text 188 billion times, send 144 billion emails, Google 4.7 billion times, download 30 million apps, Skype for 2 billion minutes, write 2.1 million blog posts, and tweet 400 million times. I don't know if that's bad, but it's a pattern, right? 
The question is, if we conform to this pattern, is the transforming that Paul has in mind still possible? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But there is this scene in the Bible I keep thinking about this week. Okay. Moses is standing with the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan River. They've just come through years in Egyptian slavery, years when they had nothing. They've just come through years of wandering in the wilderness when they were just scraping to get by, totally dependent on God, even for their daily food, right? And he's about, they're looking into this promised land to which he is about to send them. And it's like the animals are just running free, right? There's milk and honey flowing. Everything is there. Everything's going to be at their fingertips. He knows their life is about to dramatically change. It's like they're on the cusp of this technological revolution. Okay? Everything's about to be at their fingertips. And he has one warning, one thing he says. Listen, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. It's a land flowing with streams, with springs and underground waters, welling up in valleys and hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, where you'll lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you may mine copper it. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you. And take care that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. When you've eaten your fill and you've built houses and you live in them, and when your herds and your flocks have multiplied and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then don't exalt yourself forgetting the Lord your God. Don't say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember, the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he's doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve and worship them, solemnly warn you that today you shall surely perish. He says when things get good, and things are about to get really good, don't forget God. Don't forget when things get really good, when everything is at your fingertips, that you, in fact, are not God. When everything, every possible thing is a fingertip away, do not forget God. Really powerful text, right? But I didn't really think a lot about it until this last Sunday at our reach group. Okay? One of the guys in my reach group was talking about his day-to-day life, okay? and he said, he said, guys, um, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I'm connected to God on Sunday morning, and even into Sunday afternoon, and even into small group. But come Monday morning, I just kind of forget God. And I'm not, I'm not, like, mad at him. I'm not trying to be mean or, or uppity. I just, I just can kind of go from Monday to, to Saturday and not think about God once. And, again, I, I really do love God. I just, I just kind of forget about him. And when he said that, it gave me chills because I had been spending time in Deuteronomy 8 where Moses' one warning is, don't forget God. 
really gave me chills because I know I've done it too, all the time. And there might be, in any given week, a million reasons why I do, but I know what the main reason is in my life. It's because of this thing right here. Okay. It's because every moment of the day, okay, this thing is so useful that I just don't know that I need God anymore. On this little screen, I get to play God. And it feels really good. You know, these devices bank on that desire that's inside of us. These, in, these companies, this industry banks on our desire to play God. For instance, we want to be present in all places. Formerly, just God got to be all-present, omnipresent, and now you can too. You know, you want to be at the Egyptian uh, tombs or Egyptian pyramids, log in and take a virtual tour. You want to follow the violence in Syria, you are following real-time updates either on CNN or Fox. Take your pick. Your best friend from college just had their first grandbaby, and you see pictures of baby Sarah two minutes after she's born, and you hit like, and it feels like you're there. And your girlfriend texts you while she's in class because even though nobody's supposed to be texting in class, everybody is, right? And you're there, and it's intoxicating. And you want to know everything, too, and you can do it. Formerly, just God got to be all-knowing, and now you can do it, too. You know, you want to know what time your favorite show starts. You look it up on AMC's website right there while you're driving. You, know, you want to know what the best barbecue is in Memphis? Don't bother going to all those stores. There's a blog for that, best barbecue in Memphis. Just look it up. You want to know what your ex-girlfriend's doing? You just check her status on Facebook. You want to know who your kids are messaging? You log into their Facebook from work on your phone, and they never know, and it feels great, right? You know everything. It's intoxicating. So suddenly, because of this little few inches of screen, you're all-knowing and you're all-present. And the question is, are you all-powerful? Can you do anything? Andrew Root is this author, and I was reading one of his books recently, tells this story. He and his wife were about to have their first baby, and they were going to use a midwife, so they were having visits with the midwife. And his, this midwife was not a great conversationalist, and so every time they went, it was just really difficult to interact with her. And so during the weeks, he and his wife were watching a baby story on TLC. Anybody ever watched a baby story? So he, you know, it's basically a 30-minute jaunt, frolic, through the last weeks of pregnancy, the delivery of the baby till the mom arrives home with the baby at home, and there's a big party, and everybody's happy to welcome this baby into the world, right? Okay, so his wife watches this, and every time at the end of the 30 minutes, she's just weeping, right? Just, you know, just weeping. So he goes to the midwife, who he can't talk too much, and he's like, I know what she'll want to talk about, baby story. He says, I bet you love a baby story. And before he can even get the words out of his mouth, she says, I hate a baby story. He's just kind of you know, stunned, just trying to make conversation with her. So she explains, I hate the show because I have so many patients that watch it. And then hours after their own birth experience, I'll check on them, and some will start crying and say, I'm so disappointed. My birth was nothing like I thought it would be. And when I ask what they were expecting, they say, well, I thought it'd be more like a baby story. He calls this the hyper-real. We're constantly plugged into, he says, edited 
versions of reality, the hyper-real, where everything is more real than real, okay? Like Facebook, for instance. What pictures do you post on Facebook? The most flattering ones. You know, there are apps that will remove your zits before your Facebook post goes online, that picture, right? You put your best photos online. When people see what's going on in your house, it's the best version of what's going on in your house. It's the hyper-reality. Okay, fishermen knows how, know how this plays out. They watch this show of fishermen fishing for 30 minutes, and every time they're throwing in the line, they're, hit, they're catching a fish. I mean, it's like they cannot throw in the line and not catch a fish, and they're just bringing in these huge fish. And what all fishermen know is they spent 10 days on that lake wearing the same clothes every day to finally catch the 12 fish you saw in 30 minutes, right? And you know that in your mind. But then you go fishing, okay? You're out with your buddies fishing, and you're throwing in that line. You can't catch a thing, and you suddenly realize you're not satisfied. You know, doing the thing you enjoy doing more than anything else in the world is suddenly not satisfying to you. And you can't figure out why. And it's just like those moms who labor for hours and hours. And when the baby finally arrives, the baby won't latch. And despite all of their organic mom of the year intentions, three hours after that baby arrives, they're feeding the baby formula. And they get home, and the baby will not sleep, even though they read baby-wise. And the baby should sleep. They can't understand why it hurts so bad, why it's nothing like a baby story. They can't understand why they are not all-powerful and why they don't have the power to bend the reality to one that looks so much better than 140 characters or less. And the reason is because it is very hard to swallow, once you have been practicing to be God, that you are not, in fact, God. It is very hard to swallow. And the place where we practice is right here. I don't know. You know, I don't know if that warning that Moses gives to the Israelites is one and the same thing as the warning Paul gives to us in Romans. You know, don't forget God and don't be conformed to this world. They may not be the same thing, but they might. I don't know. It is really fascinating that forgetting is a cognitive thing, something you do in your mind. Okay, Moses says that you're forgetting God is going to lead to disobedience in your life, but first you're going to stop thinking about God in your mind. The same thing that, of course, is engaged with your device. It's your mind. In Romans 12, 2, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, and then this is the rest that I was holding back from you, by the renewing of your minds, your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's a mind thing. And if you've read Romans 12, you know that Romans, the book, starts with talk about mind. It talks about these bad people who became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds, their minds were darkened. For though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God, which sounds an awful lot like forgetting God or playing God. It starts in your mind. And it's only 12 chapters later we learn that a renewing of your mind is the only thing that's going to transform you. So I don't know. I just want to be really honest. I don't know. But what's clear is that the mind is a really precious thing. And it maybe it's possible that we, like Israel, can be so overstimulated, so overwhelmed, so hyperlinked into this 
hyper-real world that our mind starts to play tricks on us, okay? Like the ruined liver of a lifelong drunk, okay? It may not be that any one time you plug into this device, your life is over, but it's the culmination, right, of a lifetime spent plugged in, okay? Maybe it's doing something to your mind. I don't know, okay? Maybe every time we plug into the hyper-real the real world in which we are called to be present will be a little more unbearable and we'll have no choice but to plug back in. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I guess someone has to decide. I wonder if we should take a cue from our Jewish brothers and sisters who practice Sabbath as a way to remind themselves of God. If the main thing that is preventing us from remembering God on a day-in and day-out basis, if the main thing that is preventing you from remembering God is the device that's in your pocket and in your hand 24 hours a day, then it's possible you need to let it go for a while. You need to practice a digital Sabbath to disconnect. And if you disconnect for an hour, example, and you feel anxiety, if you're one of those people that when your battery is dying, you feel anxiety, Okay, there's actually a word for that now. It's called nomophobia. Okay. If you're afraid that you won't have access to your phone, then you need to take a digital Sabbath. Okay. And if you have that anxiety when you do it, you need to take a Sabbath more. All right. And I'll end with a confession. I do too. Not just you. Let's worship our God together, remembering the one who is, in fact, God and Savior. Will you stand with me and let's sing. In the heart of me there's a mystery and in my weakness there